Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show. This week, joining us on the phone, we've got Adarsh Meshru. As always, we are powered by Dupree Financial Group. Here's our host, Tom Dupree. And where are we? We're on the radio. <laughs> All right, this song is called Hoedown at Alice's. It's by Steve Martin. What's interesting about Steve Martin to me and his approach to bluegrass music is that he basically studied it from Los Angeles. It's kind of the most unlikely place you would ever expect someone to become proficient at the banjo and bluegrass music, but that's what he did. And uh, he wrote this song. It's called Ho Down at Alice's, and it was on one of his earlier albums as a bluegrass guy. Okay. So, Adarsh, we're going to get right into it here. Uh, this is an article from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, the GDP, the U.S., that's the output, gross domestic production, fell at nine-tenths of a percent annual rate in the second quarter. This is the second quarter of lower GDP. That means that uh, we are in a recession. Uh, how pronounced it will become? Is anybody's guess. One thing I've just noticed, we've been gone a little bit, but the earnings from several companies uh, are coming in significantly lower. Strangely, it doesn't seem to be affecting the stock market in a major way. You're having certain companies that are getting hit. Walmart was, uh, was one of them, and uh, Cincinnati Financial another insurance name that we follow. We don't own it, but we could look at owning it down here. Uh, those have gotten hammered. Uh, you saw Shopify, uh, uh, internet uh, retailer, get really smacked the other day. But the funny thing is the stocks come back some. So, I mean, I, I don't know. There's so much money out there chasing uh, these securities, finding a place to go that – Buying on the dip is still sort of seeming to work here. But Adarsh, uh, I don't know, your thoughts on this. Yeah, so, you know, the, the stock market is uh, a forward-looking mechanism. So I think, you know, we saw the S&P drop close to 25% from its peak. The NASDAQ dropped uh, over 30%. So the stock market priced uh, in some sort of an economic slowdown. Uh, and the market peaked in November of last year. So, you know, we are seven, eight months going into uh, this decline. Uh, now, the companies that uh, reported, some of them, despite reporting lower numbers, you know, the market had already expected them to uh, have lower earnings. So those either held up or even went up on, on bad numbers. And uh, a right. few of them uh, were, despite the market factoring in a slowdown, they reported worse uh, numbers or there was a surprise element to their earnings. Those still got hit. Uh, so overall, it's a mixed bag. What's somewhat encouraging is that the large, the, the largest companies, your Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, even Google, uh, they reported earnings and their stock price held up overall. Uh, in fact, 
Amazon is up today, uh, about 11, 12% last night. So Apple is also up on earnings. Um, so I, I think the market has priced in uh, a lot of the negative economic uh, data that we are starting to see. The market typically looks ahead six, seven months. Um, well, you could argue that the market is looking way into the future, but you know, as far as the lag between economic data and what the market does, uh, historically there's been about a six month lag where if the economy is about to go into a recession, then six months prior to that, you'll start seeing the market, you know, discount, uh, lower earnings. Um, you know, one the of the, remain, I wonder yeah. if, uh, the Fed uh, wants to be sort of the master of the economy, but I really wonder if um, being able to raise or lower very short-term interest rates really has much of an effect on the overall economy. I mean, you look at a company like uh, Apple. I mean, do, do, do Apple's customers care uh, that the Fed just uh, increased the short-term rate by 75 basis points. I mean, it's based really on more of an older uh, industrial model uh, where companies did a lot of borrowing and uh, a, a small uptick in rates uh, could make it uh, tougher on a company to borrow. But these big tech companies that are just floating in cash uh, and are in – a, a, a huge net cash position rather than a net borrowed position. I don't think it has much effect on them. Yeah. It, you know, it doesn't have a direct effect. And of course, if you take a longer term view, then it shouldn't really what the fed does is all noise or what happens in the macro economy to a large extent is noise. Uh, but uh, the impact, could be on the consumer, especially consumers who borrow to purchase things. So say the Fed fund rate directly impacts the prime rate, for example. So if you're buying a car, you know, your interest rate on that would go up. Interest rates on credit cards would go up. Um, and of course, if you're trading securities on margin, then the margin rate goes up based on what the Fed does. Now, how much does that really impact the broader economy? Maybe to some extent, uh, in the sense that it might curtail some consumption. But of course, if you take a bigger picture, then, you know, it does not really impact. I mean, many, like Apple's been around for four decades now, um, longer, five decades, I think. And they've been through various cycles. And yeah, I mean, the stock price has dropped significantly many times over that period, but they've kept, you know, growing their revenue and their earnings so, so go it ahead. all depends on your viewpoint right i mean so you sent me this article the fed lifts uh key rate by 75 basis points that's three quarters of one percent uh, to two and a half percent but it also admitted its own self that the economy is softening now, one could argue that it really has nothing to do with anything so much that the Fed did. I, I would say higher gasoline prices have been a huge 
contributor to the slowing economy. Uh, higher market interest rates, that would be uh, rates on the uh, 30-year mortgages. Maybe the Fed controls that somewhat because they've stopped uh, their uh, QE buying those things. But I don't think it's that applicable. Um, I would argue that uh, what this has done, uh, this, this increase in interest rates, which has knocked the prices of certain stocks down, uh, because stocks are interest-sensitive, even stocks that don't pay a dividend, uh, you know, the pricing of those stocks is is based on a sort of an internal rate of return. And when the risk-free rate of return, that would be the 10-year treasury, goes from 46 basis points all the way up to 3.5%, uh, you've increased that risk-free rate of return and you've made the uh, growth stocks have to overcome a higher hurdle in terms of their internal rate of return and, and and it's knocked the prices back significantly on some of those but you know today we have seen the uh 10-year treasury trade as low as 2.63 percent that's from a high of three and a half percent so the average person should be very confused because they hear that the fed is increasing interest rates and therefore they think interest rates are increasing, but what's happening in the bond market, which is not the manipulated interest rate, but it's the market interest rate, is that rates are coming down. Right. Yeah, so there are, you know, when, when people hear that the Fed is raising rates, the Fed basically raises, you know, the it's called the Fed funds rate. So it's a very short-term interest rate, and it's the rate that... Uh, banks uh, borrow from each other um, and there's also the discount rate the rate at which uh, banks borrow from the fed so uh, it does not in any way impact uh, longer term interest rates which is you know interest rates on a 10 year or a 30 year which are controlled by the market uh, so what longer term interest rates are telling you is that inflationary pressures are uh, going to mitigate and uh, uh, the economy is already slowed down, but it could perhaps slow down even more. Uh, and that by itself will mitigate inflationary pressures. Uh, but if you are a borrower and if you're borrowing to buy a home, for example, then your interest rates have actually gone down on uh, a 30-year mortgage. Um, right. They so got the, the 30-year mortgage rate got slightly over 6%. Now it's back in, I would say, more the five to five and a quarter range. Right. right. But one of the, I guess, uh, difficulties when, you know, the economy is slowing down is that even though people want to borrow, banks become stricter, you know, with their lending standards. So even oftentimes, despite lower rates, you know, uh, it may be harder to borrow unless you have the absolute best uh, credit uh, so, uh, I mean, one of the things, you know, yeah, I think that uh, one of the things that um, 
you have to look at in a, in a slowing economy is quality of earnings. Um, is a company producing earnings that could or could not be affected uh, by a slowing economy? Certainly with a company like Walmart, which relies on everyday people spending money, they've been hit hard by inflation, fuel prices, those kinds of things. That Nobody really knows how far that could slow down. But if you look at a company like a real estate investment trust, and we own some of those, specifically one which has as its uh, collateral and its earnings uh, driver, uh, U.S. Treasury-backed mortgage-backed securities, those earnings are not going to come into question the same way uh, the earnings produced by consumers consuming would come into question. That's right, yes. So, as you said, it depends on the quality of the earnings, the source of the earnings. So certain companies, you know, have more predictable cash flows. They're not really... uh, uh, you know, prone to changes in consumer behavior or just the macro economy as much as some other companies. Uh, it used to be where a company like Walmart did well when the economy slowed down, but uh, uh, all the you know dislocations that were caused by COVID has you know messed up you know their uh, inventories basically where they overordered things. Now, you know, they're having to sell them at a discounted price because people are not buying what what they used to buy during COVID. Yeah, I think that completely uh, threw everything out of whack. So the, the U.S. Treasury, uh, or I'm sorry, not the U.S. Treasury, the U.S. Senate approved a $280 billion bill to boost U.S. chip making. Now, I understand that that bill has been combined with another bill that's backed by Senator Manchin. What is, which you can't, this Senate is not going to produce a bill that's, it's going to say it's about one thing, but it'll direct money to lots of other things. But on its face, the idea that the U.S. Senate needs to subsidize the semiconductor industry to the tune of $280 billion is absolutely preposterous. I mean, how you favor one industry over another, this is basically like a government bailout, as if it needs to happen, of the of the semiconductor industry. And indeed, it will basically nationalize parts of the semiconductor industry. No government funding is ever presented without lots of strings attached. Uh, And I know that lots of Republicans voted for this. I mean, the the level of uh, just idiocy concerning uh, the free market and how it operates in members of our political class it's just amazing to me. I don't how on if you want to really get rid of the semiconductor industry, do something like this, in my opinion. 
Right, yeah. So, I mean, one of the arguments, just as you said, is that, you know, this is the government favoring uh, one industry over the others. Uh, I think the last time something like this happened was maybe when the government bailed out the auto industry. Yeah, the car companies. And it ruined them. I mean, they've never, resultingly, they've never become really entrepreneurial. GM, Ford, Ford, I don't think, took the bailout. Chrysler is never really, you know, the American auto companies have gotten their clocks cleaned by Japanese, Korean manufacturers who are producing, uh, German manufacturers who are producing better models and things actually that people want to buy, not something that comes from a focus group. So, you know, this, this is really stupid in my opinion, or maybe it's designed to weaken the semiconductor industry so that China will gain more market share. Yeah. I mean, uh, the reason the, at least the government's reason for doing this is to, uh, bolster the industry. But of course, you know, as we know, there are always unintended consequences. Um, and, uh, Semiconductors have become very crucial to the economy and they are used in almost every industry today. Uh, and the majority of semiconductors are made overseas, Taiwan, China. Um, so this is the government's attempt to uh, increase production here. But I, I guess it remains to be seen, you know, what sort of effect this will have. Right. I mean... The one way might be to give tax breaks, <laughs> more uh, tax incentives, rather than write a bill that's actually going to be handing out cash. It just, it's uh, completely uh, disingenuous. The, the, bill, uh, the bill, I believe, also includes tax incentives. That's part of the right. That's a combination of cash and uh, and. I don't know what the fine print is, but initially they were just going to give money to uh, the fabs, like the companies that actually make stuff. Uh, now, there are other semiconductor companies that don't necessarily make the chips, but they program things like that. So uh, Intel was going to be one of the big beneficiaries. But we know, you know, that Intel has just, you know, they've, they've not been a very good company for a long time now they just haven't been able to compete against the likes of Qualcomm and others right uh, yeah so they're they going to make more efficient use of this money uh, yeah the, it, so basically some of this is intel asking for a a, a bailout and I, I think uh whoever the ceo of intel is now uh made some kind of a veiled threat uh that if uh, they couldn't get help from the uh U.S. government, they would take their uh, business overseas, and Bernie Sanders got in the act, and uh, <laughs> you know it was it was kind of a back and forth regarding that. Yeah, <laughs> I think this might be time for me to wrap this segment up, listeners. We appreciate you bearing with us. We are. Uh, when you don't have eye contact to see what the other person is saying, a lot of times it's a little harder to get your point across. But we I've seen Adarsh enough times I can visualize him. Oh, oh okay. But the eye, it, you, there's no replacing face-to-face. And we, we try not to do this a lot, but sometimes it's unavoidable to have somebody on the phone. 
So, that said, you are listening to the Tom Dupree Show. We will be back in just a few minutes, and we're powered by Dupree Financial Group. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Tom Dupree Show for the second half of the hour. Joining us on the phone at Darsh Meshru. We are powered by Dupree Financial Group, and here's our host, Tom Dupree. So this is a group called the Old Crow Medicine Show. <laughs> and when my friend uh, mentioned their name, uh, I was thinking of another group whose name I can't remember right now from back in the 70s. Uh, but anyway... So this group, it's a younger group. Uh, they're two members from Harrisonburg, Virginia, home of Ralph Sampson, if you remember him. And uh, they got Doc Watson's attention when they were busking or playing on the side of the street in Boone, North Carolina. His daughter heard him and brought him over. He heard him and really fell in love with him. So... Uh, they are an interesting group, and uh, I have heard some of their music. I just didn't remember what their name was, but that th- that happens to me. From not time. not usually about music. You're usually right well, on with your I know, music. But I'm getting older. Oh, don't admit that. Did, did Bob Dylan also write the song with them? Yeah, he did. There, they had a some kind of a. Um, there was a. Um, let's call it a collaboration between them and Bob Dylan, which I don't, you know, that's like a big guy kind of investing in a startup in our world. Yeah. He's the guy with all the credibility. Yes. 
these things do go on. I, I'm kind of into this myself. So in, into what? Well, investing in smaller kind of startupy type things. All right. <laughs> That's what I'll. You know, it's fun to do. No, I get that. Especially when you get older. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about some of these uh, companies that we own um, because we've been making a big but just got up and forgot to take her headphones off and damn near pulled the board into the floor. It's funny every now and then. Um, we have been making a very strong push into certain equities that we uh, have done the research on and and like. And I'm going to talk about some specific companies here that uh, we have to be uh, careful about saying that we're not making a recommendation. But um, one of them is uh, a company called um, AGNC. And they are a mortgage REIT. Now, I can't get overly specific about everything about the company, but the general business model is to uh, buy and own longer-term mortgage-backed securities, which are government-guaranteed, and finance them uh, through what's called the repo market, repurchase agreements. It's a banking function whereby uh, the lender um, will hold as collateral the securities that they're loaning against so that the owner of the securities effectively is engaged in what we call an arbitrage where they are uh, borrowing money at a lower rate and lending it out, in this case, to the mortgage-backed securities market at a higher rate. So let's say they're borrowing the money at, say, 2.5% right now and earning maybe 5 to 5.25% on the longer-term investment that they've made. So they, they have a spread of, say, two and a half to two and three quarters percent. And that's how banking effectively works. That's how arbitrage works. You, you borrow something or you, you buy something. So when you borrow money, you're basically buying the use of it. So you buy the use of money at one price and then you sell the use of money in another market at a higher price. Now, given that the bond market is telling us a different story about the economy than the Fed is called. And the Fed even admitted, you know, they were so boxed into this three-quarters of a percent increase, they couldn't say no. They couldn't. The data tell them, or probably telling them, that you didn't even need to do this increase, but they went ahead and did it anyway, because let's not forget, they are a political organization. Regardless of what they say they're not, they are. So they went ahead and did the three-quarters rate, and so the average person would say (coughs) interest rates are going up. No, they're not. Not if you look at the market 
rate for interest rates, and that would be longer-term treasuries and longer-term mortgages. They are already reflecting, those rates are already reflecting a slowdown. So given that we have this sort of mismatch in expectations because the average sort of low-information person walking around on the street is worried about interest rates going up, but someone who is actually informed about what's going on knows and sees that the longer-term rates are actually going down. Where we can take advantage of this and own something like this company, AGNC, or a mortgage rate, we're doing so because it gives us the ability you know, to position ourselves to make a nice yield in a declining interest rate environment. So if you get the kind of environment that the market seems to be telling us we're going to get, you're going to see lower rates and you're going to see inflation has got to moderate or even go, I think you see inflation within the next year or two go to zero. I don't believe it's going to stop at 2%, which is the Fed's target rate. I think it goes back to zero, especially as you see fuel costs begin to come down. And what's that going to do to longer-term interest rates? That's going to bring the 10-year from a – it went as high as a 3.5%. It's now at 2.63%. I think you'll see it back at 2% potentially. So you could see a 60-basis point rally even from here. Now – this is no guarantee, it's conjecture, but it seems to me that when the market begins to just take gas and give up, that you could see inflation go a lot lower than you think. That's true, and I mean, that's basically what's been happening over the last four decades, Um, and the reason for that, the reason why inflation has been on a downward trajectory is because a technology uh, has been playing a role where people are becoming more productive over time uh, and b we've had uh, a lot more trade you know in the last few decades where uh, labor was getting cheaper and cheaper because goods could be produced uh, overseas at a lower cost um, now, you know, going forward, uh, there's still no reason to believe that inflation is, you know, going to be much higher because uh, demographics still do not support very high inflation, where the population is not really growing. Very, in fact, the population is growing at one of the slowest rates uh, in a long time. Uh, plus, we have a lot of innovation that's taking place, which technological innovation, which tends to be deflationary by nature. Um, so, I mean, there's still, you know, of course, inflation over a very long period is, is a given in that, you know, over the next 50 years, the dollar is not going to be worth what it is worth today. But inflation of the sort that we saw over the last year, where inflation ran up to 8 9%, you know, that that is very unlikely going forward. Right. So, Given that that may be taking place, let's let's say that that may 
continue to take place. Obviously, something that pays a dividend will perform a little bit like a bond, a little bit like a fixed income uh, security, because in a in a declining interest rate environment, a given uh, flow of payments, whether they be interest payments or dividend payments, will be more highly valued in a declining interest rate environment than an increasing than in an increasing interest rate environment. So obviously something that pays dividends and pays them reliably will be prized and valued in an environment like that. Another thing though, that will also be prized and valued will be potentially a growth company that may not pay a dividend, but has an internal uh, rate that it's, paying on its capital, on its invested capital. And as interest rates decline, uh, this future flow of earnings will become more valuable. And we're even beginning to see that uh, with some growth stocks who had, which had broken down pretty strongly, uh, now beginning to rally back um, and uh, and these are companies that 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 may not uh, pay a dividend, probably don't pay a dividend, but uh, they do have earnings, and the earnings are considered pretty good quality earnings. So those would be regarded in some ways like a fixed income security with a variable coupon, meaning that it could go higher in the future as their earnings go higher. I mean, I think this market is setting up great for things that pay good dividends and things that have a high growth rate with uh, with reliable earnings. Right. So, yeah, as you said that, you know, um, if uh, inflation uh, has kind of, you know, peaked, then, uh, you know, any stream of cash flow becomes more uh fixed stream of cash flow becomes more valuable on the one end uh, because now, you know, adjusted for inflation, the real rate of return starts, uh, either stays the same or increases if inflation starts going down. Uh, and then on the other uh, end, uh, with companies that don't pay any uh, dividends, your so-called long-duration assets, your tech companies where their earnings are still way out in the future, but they are working towards growing rapidly and eventually producing those earnings. Those stocks also uh, will get a tailwind because uh, right. their present value increases as the discount rate decreases. And we are seeing that, as yep. you as mentioned. We can also see those companies sometimes have a significant tailwind for, for not only a short period of time, but sometimes for for many years if they have a good pool of earnings. And this is really one of the first times in our company's history where we've actually started looking at and actually buying a few uh, growth type names uh, that we believe are, have been offered at what we would call a fair price or at least a much fairer price than they were being offered at nine, nine months to a year ago. 
that, that's right. Yes, it, it was very difficult to buy growth stocks over the last few years just because their valuations were pretty ridiculous. You know, not not just the new uh, tech companies that came public recently, but even your legacy growth stocks, your so-called fangs, they were trading at extremely high valuations. And now we've seen a reset of those valuations. Uh, and as we just saw from Amazon, uh, Google, Microsoft, these are all companies that, you know, that are still uh, growing their uh, revenues and their earnings. Uh, but now they're trading at, at more attractive valuations. And these valuations only get better as their earnings keep growing. Right. The, but Amazon is up a huge amount today, uh, 11 and a quarter percent. So the stock's at $136. Uh, I don't know if that's getting back close to a – no, it's still significantly uh, off its all-time high, but it's made a parabolic pivot from – its recent low of uh, looks like it got all the way down to I don't know uh, around 115 bucks. So um, did I? Am I imagining it, or did I hear that they have moved into another sector that might have provided that bump or some of that bump? Well, they uh, the bump today was because their AWS business uh, reported really good numbers. The earnings, okay. AWS is Amazon Web Services, and it's all their uh, cloud stuff. And they have huge contracts with the government. Google, Amazon, and I think, who's the other big player in in cloud? Uh, Microsoft. Yeah, those are becoming almost bigger lines of business for those companies than anything else. Everybody thinks Amazon's just a a retail company. No, they're, they're, they're basically a, a cloud company now. And that's where the biggest earnings are coming from. Right. Yes. They also own a piece of the car company called Rivian. Right. uh, Yeah. So, I mean, they are one of the advantages that these big tech companies have is that they are big. They have so much cash that they have been diversifying, you know, away from some of their core businesses into new areas, which they think, you know, are, are going to be the next growth opportunity. Did so, Amazon, uh, was it health? Was it healthcare that I saw that they were venturing into, Adarsh? Yes, they are getting into healthcare. They've made some acquisition. They just made uh, an acquisition recently related to that. So they are getting into healthcare also. Okay, that's what it was I was thinking. So then the one other thing, if we've got time, and we do have a little time, is energy. And this is an area that we're in and and sort of buying a few more things in here because here's what's gone on. Uh, Many of the uh, integrated oil companies, especially the ones on the E&P side, um, have uh, been able to get their, their... finding costs, the cost of pulling the oil out of the ground well down from what it used to be. You have you have some of these big companies that are that can make a profit if oil's at thirty bucks a barrel. Well, right now WTI West Texas Intermediate is trading at ninety eight dollars and fifty cents 
to the barrel. So, and oil companies have dropped in a big way from their recent highs. Uh, some, uh, some of their, some of these oil and energy companies are still 25 to 30% below where they were, uh, eight weeks ago. And, um, it's, uh, but their margins have not really uh, diminished by that much. They they still uh, are uh, are making really good money. So we see opportunities there among certain names, and uh, we have company because Warren Buffett uh, of Berkshire Hathaway has been buying a lot of energy related companies recently, several different names. Among them uh, would be uh, Chevron and Occidental Petroleum. Right. So, uh, again, it's one of those, uh, you know, energy is one of those industries where uh, the sentiment became extremely negative, one of the most negative sentiments ever, where the entire energy sector in the S&P 500 comprised only of 2% of the S&P 500. So you can imagine, you know, the market was basically saying that these companies are just, they're no good, they're going out of business. Uh, but all of a sudden, now there's a realization that, you know, we are still going to rely on energy companies for the foreseeable future. And uh, the, this is, these are very valuable assets. Uh, and they're also important from a national security point of view where, you know, we just saw what can happen when a country decides to just cut off energy to another country or to another continent. So, right. um, um, so again, sentiment went to one extreme, and now you know we saw we've seen a pretty good uh, bounce back. Uh, not, not just uh, oil and gas stocks, but one of the best performing sectors last year was coal. Right. All right, that's a wrap for this week. Nothing on the show is a recommendation. Buy or sell securities while stocks in the stock market will be discussed on this program. Check with your financial advisor or professional before investing. That's a wrap for this week. You've been listening to the Tom Dupree Show with the Darsh Meshru. Over and out. North Carolina, staring up the road and pray to God I see headlights. <laughs>